How many people are happy to be here today? Woo, I love it. Now, how many of you have ever told a lie in your life? So you're all liars. I just wanted to qualify that. <laughs> all right. I want to, uh, I, I have been sick, yes. And let's leave it in the uh, present participle. I want to leave it behind and uh, move forward. Uh, if by some chance my voice fades, which it seem, seemingly is, uh, I will uh, get through this. Some of you are actually coming here to hear a, uh, a preaching. I'm going to let you know I'm not going to be preaching. Uh, some of you uh, might he be here just to hear an exhortation or whatever. I'm going to give sort of a teaching, and I'm going to be moving around in it. It's kind of a smattering of something I love, and that is Noah, the Parsha of the week. That was wise of you to move, because I'm all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I um, had another message prepared, and yesterday morning... No, the night before, I said to Judy, uh, you know, I, I had a, an idea that I need to deliver something different. And she was half asleep. What are you talking about? And I said, I'll tell you in the morning. So anyway, yesterday afternoon, with many, many distractions, I put something together. And as I said, it's kind of all over the place, which is typical of my demeanor. So, kind of flow with me, please. And uh, the reason why Noah is so important to me, um, I have been involved with uh, creation science for a number of years and representing the uh, Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter to the National Education Association, where I am the liaison. Uh, on the national level to bring them in. And it's so important to me because I see that the majority of believers in this world uh, do not believe in the six-day creation. And I would love to talk to you about that anytime. And I know Fred would love to talk to you about that anytime. Uh, it's so important that we take the good news of the entire Bible, I'll say that again, the entire Bible at its word, and not come up with all the conjectures that have come throughout the many generations uh, where people have come up with their own philosophies and doctrines, etc. And unfortunately, we that have gone through, many of us, through government schools have been indoctrinated in false teaching and it's very hard to shake and unfortunately I'm not going to get into all that because uh, time didn't permit me to really get in it into it the way I wanted to but I would like to just qualify a couple of things how many of you believe that the ark existed Okay, well, that's a good start right there. The ark, which, uh, you know what? 
one, Carlos, why don't you put that on now, because that's one minute, and then we'll go into a few details. That's only a little exposure. I, um, how big was the ark? I want you to think about that. Imagine a football field and beyond. That's how big the ark was, 451 feet long. Imagine uh, the width. The width was, I mean, so phenomenal. Uh, we're looking at 85 feet wide. 51 feet tall, three stories, with as many between 5,000 to 16,000 animals on it. Now, how many of you believe that there were ever dinosaurs? Okay, not everybody. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, there were. There's a lot of paleontology research that has proven that they have existed. And how many of you believe that perhaps they were on the ark? Some of you believe not. Okay, how interesting. Well, I'm, I'm, I would have loved to prepare this for you to prove to you that, yes, they were on the ark. But many of us, when we think of the size of the animals uh, that were on the ark, they weren't uh, brought on as humongous animals. God supernaturally, do you believe in the supernatural? You better, because that ark wasn't closed by Noah. Uh, supernaturally, they came onto the ark by twos and by sevens. And there were, they came on perhaps as smaller, like not babies, but large enough that they could uh, procreate, that they could uh, reproduce. And they, there was enough room on that ark. Actually, uh, if you go into some of the laboratories where they stick animals into cages, uh, it's similar in a sort of sense. Only 41% of the ark was actually used for the animals. So there was another perhaps 9 to 10% of the ark was used for food, sustenance. There was a lot of space on that ark to be able to accommodate all that was on it. 
plus the eight people who had to tend to them. Now, I, I, I sometimes think like a woman, uh, but uh, listen to this. You know, God made us perfect. I have some estrogen, I have androgen, I have, you know, all the components that make me what I am. And after all, ladies, you did come from man. So, <laughs> not M-A-N-N. But uh, let, let me say this, that, um, oh gosh, I lost the thought. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the important thing is that God had it all under control and his design was perfect and is perfect. Um, I lost the thought. And it was, I know, I think, well, oh yes, thank you. And that is, when you look at much of the Bible, it's, it's very patriarchal. And we don't hear much about what, what were the names of the daughters uh, that married, or the women that married the sons. What was Noah's wife's name? You know, they played a very important role because we would not be here today if it had not been for them. Nahum, right? Okay. So, I'm going to uh, touch on some things. Oh, by the way, when the Bible is talking about the different types of animals, it isn't types. We use that word types. It's kinds of animals. Mean, uh, and that's M-I-N in the transliteration. And if you look it up carefully, it's not talking about every different type. You know, lions and tigers and bears. <laughs> but it's talking about the, the kinds, so it, there might have been little failings, little cats. But like I said, I didn't prepare this message to talk about that. So, Noah, Noah, uh, a gentle, restful soul. His name uh, in the literal sense means rest. And the account of Noah, it's found in Genesis 6 through 9. And despite living in a very wicked time, Noah faithfully followed God. And he, he and his family were the only ones spared aboard the ark uh, and from God's judgment during the global flood. All of humanity, all our ancestry dates back to about 4,500 years ago. When God sealed Noah and his family inside the ark, he closed the door on Noah's world forever. And Noah emerged one year later into a, a brand new world, essentially. And when we think about the time of the flood, what comes to mind? For many people, it's images of uh, predated streets. Uh, we might uh, see his world similar to ours in a way. Uh, it was the only world that Noah actually knew, when you think about it. When we go out here, we see all this abundance. We look at what we have on our backs, on our bodies. It's a whole different thing. But he knew his world from his 
mind set. And try to understand what kind, what might have gone through his mind. Uh, ponder what, what he left behind. He left behind perhaps a comfortable home. He left behind relatives. He left behind uh, some acquaintances, uh, perhaps friends. And have you thought about all the possibilities of what went through his head when God told him and the other seven to get onto the ark? They left behind an awful lot. Isn't it kind of like us in a certain way? When we're called to be believers, do we really take that stuff, step to be as a believer, separate from the world, but being in the world, but not necessarily of it? Do we compromise here and there? Uh-huh. I know I do. Uh, Noah was about 600 years old when God called him. And he, uh, it's possible that he might have had some doubts, but he was obedient. And that's why God honored him. He was obedient to just step out and do what he did for decades. He didn't know what was going to be coming. He was told by God, but he didn't know that he knew, if you know what I mean. It's similar to our call in faith for uh, healing. We know that we've been healed. We know that the work has been done. And we look for that manifestation. But much like some of the, the saints in uh, Hebrews 11, they believed unto death. Some of the things didn't happen in their life but they believed unto death. That's a faith that we all walk. I believe that the work that was done for me was once and for all done. And I look for the manifestation of that completed man. I might not see it in the natural, but I believe it is done. And I believe it will be manifested sometime. I know I will have a glorified body. Amen? Okay. Because of the increasing marginalization, messianic faith in the West, many are facing challenging times for their faith. Although this is nothing new, Scripture does offer an encouragement in these times. The writer in Hebrews uses the examples from biblical history of those who were faithful as they were marginalized. I got a half a cough drop. Uh, they went through very difficult circumstances. One of these, of course, was Noah. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things yet to come, he was moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world in Hebrews 11.7, it says, and he became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. But in what ways was Noah really an example of faith? Think about it. 
I already answered some of it, how he stepped out in faith and for decades and built that ark. Let's look a little bit about what he was like. Noah is in the 10th generation from Adam in the line of Seth, Genesis 5. His father, Lamech, gave him the name Noah, which is associated, as I said, with rest and hope. He would one day bring relief to the ground that was cursed because of Adam's disobedience. Noah lived in a day in which man is geographically described as a wicked generation, a wicked time. Every intent of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's how man was in that day. Do you see any similarity today? It's getting bad out there, but we have to maintain faith. It was ultimately a day when God finally said, Enough is enough, and promised to destroy mankind with, with the earth, as it states in Genesis 6.13. However, there is a contrast between Noah and the wicked people of his generation. Perhaps the most significant thing we are told about Noah is that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Do we find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Could we have been, any one of us, chosen to be like Noah? That's something to ponder. I don't think I would have been there. I really don't. I fall short. I'm reminded periodically. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> Some of us know that about our living with humans. Uh, <laughs> uh, Let's see. This is why Noah is characterized as a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. Someone who walked with God. He was much like uh, Enoch, uh, who did, as stated in Genesis 6-9 and Genesis 5-22. In a day of unrestrained evil, who had a right relationship with God. That's what stands out. In the Messianic writings, Noah is described as a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter 2.5. The years in which the ark was being prepared highlighted God's great patience with a wicked humanity. Yeshua also saw the days of Noah as characterizing days that immediately precede his second coming. We're anticipating, we're waiting on that second coming. We're much in the same times as what he experienced. The analogy uh, is uh, going to be very instructive of what I'll share. Just as most people today do not believe Yeshua is coming back at all, let alone soon, the people of Noah's day did not believe that there was going to be a flood upon the earth. However, they were informed that there was going to be a flood. They were warned. Are we warning a world today of what's coming? Or are we just going to work and just whole oh, humpty-doo, 
I'll do my thing and then I'll go home and make my dinner and then Humpty do. We have a responsibility to let the redeemed say so. It's one of my favorite lines. We must proclaim the good news everywhere we go, whatever we do. Don't be fearful of man because there are rewards and there is also judgment. I won't go into it any farther than that. They were very well informed and our people in this world with close to 6,000 languages. There's still 2,000 languages that are more dialectical than anything that people have not heard the good news. But the majority of the world through their trade languages and through their ways of inter... inter Inter, what's the word I want to say? Interacting with others. Uh, they have a means to hear the good news. It says in Romans, even through nature and through the, the creation of what God has done, we, we, we know of him. We might not know of the blood sacrificial system, but we know of him. And as everything points to him, uh, there, there's information that at least in two sources uh, that there's the fact that Noah was actually building an ark. That was a way that the people knew that something was happening. And there was also likely that he told people the reason he was building the ark. You better get ready. Time is short. Here, he's building for decades. Decades and decades. And people are saying, yeah, right, it's going to happen. Sometime it's going to happen. Sort of like us. Sort of like people throughout the millennia. Someday he is coming back again. Be ready. And that's what he said. By faith. Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. During the decades of mankind's last days, Noah was working on the ark. As it grew, it must have been a potent symbol to those living nearby. One can imagine that Noah was often asked about his construction project. <laughs> what are you doing? You really believe there's a flood coming? You really think that uh, we're going to be wiped out? <laughs> it's likely that he was mocked for all that he do, did through his enterprise. But who got the last laugh or let's say, the last cry. It must have broken him to think that he was chosen. We should be broken that we're chosen. But we've got to do something about it. Right? It's so true. In Second Peter 2.5, Noah is described as a preacher of righteousness. 
In what way was he a preacher? The Greek, Greek word, keruch, refers to a herald or one who announces. Even when he wasn't saying anything, his labor on the ark would have been his witness. Is there something that, even though we're not talking about our faith, I hope we are, but even if we're not, is there something in our lives that is pointing others to him? I hope so. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. This sort of righteousness is found only by faith. The uh, Apostle Shaul says elsewhere, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And then not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. This is <coughs> exactly how Noah was saved. His right righteousness was unattainable so it could only come by God's grace through faith Genesis 6 8 says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord Noah's salvation like ours was and is by grace he could not do anything to attain righteousness by himself when the door to the ark was shut, I mentioned this, there was room for many, no, I didn't say this, for many more people. Remember I said only 41% of that ark was used for the animals. They didn't come in as giant, humongous elephants and rhinoceroses, etc. They probably came in smaller so that they had room to grow. And then when they got out there on the land, they became abundant. All they had to do was repent and turn to God. These people that were left behind. In the same way, salvation is available to whoever calls on the name of the Lord, as stated in Romans 10.13. Notice that eight occupants of the ark entered by a door. There was only one door, which was not closed by Noah but by God. The Lord shut him in, Genesis 7, 16. But Yeshua says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. There's a typology there. There's only one door that brings us to salvation. There is only one way that brings us to salvation. Not by works that we can boast about it. There's nothing we can do but believe in our hearts, confess with our mouths, and know that we know that we are saved. Noah is the... I already read that. I'm not going to do that again. The writer of Hebrews defines faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith in this context is a settled confidence of something as yet unseen but promised by God without faith in the promises of God 
It's impossible to please him. Hebrews 11.6 Noah is a landmark figure in the history of redemption because he was a living example of the just living by faith. Uh, in the history of redemption, he was a living example. I just read that. Just The just living by faith. The evidence of Noah's faith is seen in trust in his trusting God, believing in his word, and acting in obedience to God's command to build the ark. Is there something that God has called you to do? Is there something that is perhaps unusual that you're doing? Maybe God has given you a message to proclaim, and it kind of rubs against the grain of many others. Maybe you have a prophetic ministry. Some of us, all of us, are called to fivefold ministry in some way. So, is there something about your ministry that is unique, that is drawing others to Him, that sets you apart? Consider it. What evidence did Noah have to go on when God asked him to build the ark? Noah had never seen anything resembling a global flood before. All he had to do, all he had to go on was the truth of the character of God. Noah may have known of God's promise that one day the serpent's head would be crushed, as stated in Genesis 3.15, the first messianic uh, verse. And therefore trusted that God would keep that promise. Noah's faith is illustrated in the fact that after being warned by God that a great flood would be coming, he made a practical preparations for something he had not yet seen. But what motivated Noah to build the ark? It was his reverent fear of God. He was obedient. Are we obedient? Noah obeyed God not only because he knew God in a personal way, but also because his faith was acting on his word, no matter how foolish it may seem, may have seemed to the world around him. The things not yet seen also bring a dynamic of the believer's life in that we walk by faith and not by sight. The writer of the Hebrews reminds us how those things come together in the believer's life. The believer's righteousness reflected in the world is testifying and witnessing to those unseen realities that are coming. As believers, we should seek to live our lives in a light of a coming judgment and a new heaven and earth. We can't see those things right now. And that faith is seen as foolishness to an unbelieving world. Is there something in your life? Is there something in your life that God has called you to do that is different? Even within your own household, something different that, and you are kind of cuckoo. Is there something? that sets you apart. Are you standing in faith? Some of us are living with 
pre-believers. Notice I said pre-believers. What's the Bible say? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Yeshua is Lord. Every knee will bow. That means pre-believers will someday become believers, but it might be too late. You got my drift? We must proclaim the good news. Noah's faith to take God at his word condemned his, the faithlessness of the world around him. People may have mocked him, called him a fool or insane, but Noah turned out to, the, to be the only sane man around. You ever feel like that? You're sharing something and people are laughing at you? You ever feel like you're the only one I've been there. I've been in places where I felt really uh, like I was the only one. And it's, it's not a comfortable place, but obedience is better than sacrifice, the Bible says. Don't sacrifice your faith just to become like them. But Noah turned out to be the only sane one around him. It is the essence of sanity to take what God says seriously, whereas it is the insanity of sin to reject the word of God. So right on. The account of Noah and the flood also teaches us about the reality of the alienation from the world and the scoffing that will come from it for those who side with God. Second Peter 3. It will cost a person, everything for choosing to follow Yeshua in this world. But the reward, the reward, everybody say reward. reward. The reward is priceless. It's something awesome that each and one of us who are a little cuckoo have a reward. The account of Noah also demonstrates both judgment and salvation. God is a God of righteous judgment who must punish sin, but most wonderfully, he is a God who has provided a way of escape from his judgment. He did this for Noah by way of the ark. Today, however, Yeshua HaMashiach is God's way of escape from his judgment. He is the ark of our salvation, the door by which mankind must enter in to be saved, John 10, 9, and the only one who can give us rest in a cursed world in Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29. The blood is a horrifying account of judgment, but also one of a glorifying redemption. It's by the blood we are saved. There's no redemption except through the blood. That's the only way we can make it. It sounds gory, and it is. But that's the only way that we get to get to the other side. We're only here for a short while. But man, how long is that eternity? A long, long time. The flood is a horrifying account of judgment also, but also one of glorifying redemption. Our lives will be characterized 
by either one of these. Either we trust in Yeshua and be redeemed, or we will face the judgment of God for our sin. Are we all ready? Are we all ready? Is there somebody in here today that's not ready? Today is the day of salvation. We don't know if when we leave here we're going to get bumped off or something's going to happen. We don't know when we go to sleep tonight that we wake up and find ourselves dead on the wrong side. We've got to be ready. Are you ready? Noah became an heir of righteousness because of his willingness to believe that which God has promised. Noah and every other heir of righteousness is so only by virtue of having been made one with Mashiach, the sole heir, Galatians 3.29. Because faith takes us into Mashiach, who is the heir of all things, says Hebrews 1.2. We can only inherit that righteousness by being united with him. The people that the writer of the Hebrews is addressing were under great pressure to give up on Mashiach and go back to their traditional Jewish belief. But here the writer says to consider Noah, to look at what, his gen- what faith brought him. Think of what it took for Noah to be righteous in his generation. He constructed an ark for the saving of his household, and for years he endured a world consumed with wickedness, which required complete faith in God's faithfulness because he knew, he knew that he knew God was going to destroy the world. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Yeshua, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the execution stake, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand throne of God. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I want to offer an opportunity If there's anybody here that isn't ready, please, today is the day of salvation. Let the world mock you for what you're, the stand you're taking. Don't be afraid. We're only here for a short time. Trust me, they are going to mock you. They're going to mock you. And doesn't matter. It hurts a little bit in here. But man, it's priceless, the gift that he's given us. Is there anybody here today that would like to surrender once and for all your heart to the Lord? Give yourself over to him and don't fall prey to miss the mark, to miss his time. Is there anybody? You may raise your hand if you like. I would like to pray with you.
and I'm not contagious. Hallelujah. I would love to pray for you. All right. Just out of something I feel that God's giving me right now. Um, I want to pray. And you may pray in your heart this prayer. Maybe you are shy. Maybe you just don't want to get up in front of everybody. But the Bible does say, if you do pray this prayer, you've got to tell somebody. You've got to tell somebody. Hallelujah. Father, I ask right now that you would come into my heart. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I even admitted that I'm a liar. Lord God, I know that I need to change. I know there are areas in my life that are weak. I want to give you my heart. I want to give you my all in all. I accept you, Yeshua, into my heart. Today is my day of salvation. I know that you've died. And you rose from the dead. And that you are coming again to redeem your people. You're coming back from me. So today is my day. In Yeshua's name. Amen. I just felt that maybe there's just somebody who just didn't have the uh, wherewithal to step up. I want to also offer a prayer of faith for anybody that is feeling sick or mentally distraught or going through something. Come on up for some prayer. Let's pray for you. I want to invite the elders to come up and let's have a word of prayer for anybody who has a need. Might be spiritual, might be mental, and might be physical. Am I leaving something out? Come on up. Emotional. Emotional. Yeah. That goes with the mental. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, go you know, pray for each person that's up here. Hallelujah. And I have oil if you want some prayer for here. Hallelujah. Somewhere down the depths of my pockets. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, right. Uh -huh. Thank you, Lord. 